0: It shall my borrow
1: We continue with the next verse.
0: I said- languish, O leave me not alone, I'll take away mine anguish by virtue of mine own.
1: Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, For the Sabbath was a high day. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, But secretly, for the fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus The text for the message this evening is taken from Matthew 27, beginning at the 45th verse, which writes, Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is the text. You may be seated. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The start of this service seemed probably like a little different for a Good Friday service. How many Good Friday services have you begun with the annunciation of Jesus' birth? Not very many. In fact, it's the only one that I've ever been to. And the reason we did it that way is because this year is a unique year. It is a unique year where the Good Friday landed on the day of the Annunciation. The last time this happened was 2005. The next time is like 2146 or something like that. So I would not book your ticket for that next one if I were you. And it's actually quite significant, because though in the early church, in the ancient days, the way they calculated the birth of an individual was based upon, or their conception, I should say, was based upon when they died, specifically when it came to great prophets. There was a belief that the great prophets died on the same day they were conceived, And one of the earliest datings for the crucifixion of Jesus was March 25th. And so, they believed he was conceived on March 25th. Add nine months and you get December 25th. If you ever wonder how Christmas got calculated, it was not because of Saturnalia. It was actually because of Jewish legend. And Jewish myth, and so that's, and so this is really an unusual opportunity. And the thing is, is it highlights what we are beginning to prepare ourselves every single Christmas. This year is especially so because Advent and Lent ended up so close together. You could blink, blink, and boom—you're in Lent. But it is a reminder. That when Mary was greeted, the very same Mary who we just read about in John, who was given away by Jesus, when she was greeted by that angel, the angel was telling her that she's going to be pregnant with this child who's going to be crucified. A form of death that is very unfamiliar to our world, to our culture. To give you kind of a couple of weeks ago, I talked about the flogging that Jesus went through, which was brutal, it was painful. His body, his flesh basically looked like raw hamburger meat. And so they would force him to carry a cross. Now, in many artist renderings, you see Jesus carrying a full, you know, both beams of the cross but it was actually much more likely he just carried the cross beam because the full cross was about 300 pounds. The the cross beam, which they normally would carry, was about 125 pounds. So imagine carrying a 125-pound wooden beam and going from here and going all the way to the end, right past the Christian Reformed Church, Making a right, then making another right, and then going what the route you would go to, get to the to get to the cemetery. That is how far he had to carry that wooden beam. I calculated on Google Maps. It was 0.6 miles. That's how far Jesus had to carry a 125-pound piece of wood on his back. And what made it worse is that his body was already broken and beaten and battered. We know that Jesus's be- the beating that Jesus took was particularly brutal on account of the fact that he couldn't continue to carry the cross. He fell. And so they, they forced this man, Simon of Cyrene, to carry it. That was not normal. Because think about it. If you, were, if you knew that it was normal that be for, people get forced to carry a cross of a convicted person, do you think many people would hang around to watch the carrying of a cross? I'm pretty certain where they heard, oh, they're carrying a crucifix? You know, I really think I have that thing to do today. No, it wasn't normal. It was unusual that Jesus fell, which tells how extreme the flogging was. And he'd be led to the place, to the hill, which was on the outside of the city, very similar to what Ochidan Mound is to Ochidan. And they they put the crosses up there, nice and high, for everyone to see, so that when you came into the city of Jerusalem, the very first thing you would see is those people hanging on those crosses. And so the very first thing you would say is, I don't want to be those people. And you find out what they did. And it was easy to find out because their crime was posted right above their head. And it was even, what made it even more humiliating was that they were stripped. They had nothing on. Most of the paintings and artist renderings of Jesus, they usually have an undergarment But in reality, he didn't even have that. And so, when he was brought, he would be brought to the place he used to be crucified. The upright um, beam is is permanently planted, it's always there. And they throw the crucified victim onto the beam that they carry meaning all those wounds that he had received at the flogging would tear right back open. And the dirt to the ground would scatter up into the wounds it in in agitating them even the more. They lay him upon that beam. They take the nails and they nail him either into the palm or into the wrist. If they nailed into the palm they'd rope it because the the, palm, the hand was not strong enough to keep the body. And you, if you've ever seen the passion of the Christ, you saw the point where they actually pulled his arm out of joint, which was a very common thing that would happen. Where the, on the beat, the, the place, they have a set place where every nail is supposed to go. And sometimes they'd find the nail, that place was just a little bit too far out of reach. And they'd stretch that person's arm out of joint to get it into place. And then they'd lift him up onto that beam. They'd hang him up there, and his, his wound scraping against the wood. And then they'd nail his feet against the wood. And he would hang there, and it would be almost like drowning just as when you're if you were if in a drowning moment you try to you know flap and dr- do whatever you can to get your head above water so also the crucified victim would use the cross and use the nails that were nailed into their hands and feet to to propel to lift themselves up just so they could get a breath of air The number one thing that is going on in the crucifixion is they're slowly being suffocated. To speak, every time they spoke, they would have to do the same thing, elevating themselves. Because if they didn't prop themselves up, they couldn't talk. Because they're they're totally, totally winded. Jesus, according to the Gospels, spoke at least seven times. Which means that those seven times were very important. One of those seven times was to dedicate, was to commit his mother to the care of John. But the one that I mentioned at the beginning was probably the most striking reality of the punishment that Jesus received. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? quoting Psalm 22, applying that psalm to himself. It is a profound psalm, very well reflected in, this, in the hymn that we're going to sing after this, in a little bit, Stricken, Smitten, and Afflicted. The last lines of the second verse, it says, But the deepest stroke that pierced him was the stroke that justice gave. On the surface, that may think, oh, the justice, that must mean what Pilate did to him. No, it's the justice that God gave to him. For when Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was saying, Jesus was acknowledging what had happened. He was damned on the cross. That's what it means to be forsaken, is to be damned by God. He had, and it's a profound reality that the first person of the Trinity, now remember, if you think of the Athanasian Creed, the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God, and yet there are not three gods, but one God. And yet from the cross, the second person of the Trinity is saying to the first person of the Trinity, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In other words, the first person of the Trinity has turned his back on the second person of the Trinity. And yet there's still one. If any of you sat there like, oh, that makes perfect sense. You're either not thinking about it or you're lying. It actually is mind-boggling. It's something that in this life we could never ever understand. But it does express the depth to which Jesus suffered. The reason why he was sweating great drops of blood in the garden is because he knew that when he was on the cross, he who who had no sin became sin itself. Every little sin that you have ever committed was laid on him, and he was declared guilty of your sins. He received, the punishment he received, the justice, the swift stroke of justice was the, that what he received was the stroke of justice that should, have, should be for us. See, on Good Friday, we focus, this, holy, this season of Lent, we focus on the great sacrifice of our Lord. We don't so much pity Jesus, but we grieve over our own sin. Because we so easily, as it says again in this third verse of stricken, smitten, and afflicted, ye who think of sin but lightly, nor suppose the evil great, here may view its nature rightly. Here its guilt may estimate. Mark the sacrifice appointed. See who bears the awful load. Tis the word, the Lord's anointed, son of man and son of God. The one who Mary was told she was pregnant with. The one who we talk about in the manger only three months ago to the day. That one who is the one who spoke all the world into creation bared our sins. Sin is not a small matter. We so easily want to say, well, all of us, none of us are perfect. And I, I mean, that's true. But a lot of times we say that to try to get out of what we've done. We should be saying none of us is perfect, so let's go before the throne of God and receive His grace. It is not an excuse. When saying, and when I'm saying not perfect. I'm not talking about if you accidentally put orange juice in your cereal. That's just an absent-mindedness. That's not a sin. I'm talking about those ones that violate the Ten Commandments. Go through the Ten Commandments. look at those meanings. Think about all the ways that we fail over and over and over and over again. Even the tiniest little white lie. That was laid on him. Nailed to him. With every lashing, with every pounding of the nail, was our sin. But the thing is, on Good Friday, we have something that's kind of interesting. The last hint, the second-to-last hymn, the second to last hymn, because we actually, today we're combining two liturgies. Primarily, we're using the, the, good, the chief service for Good Friday, but at the very end, we're going to use the um, elements of the tenebrae. And the second to last hymn we're going to sing is Sing My Tongue the Glorious Battle. It's a hymn, that one, along with uh, Royal Banners Forward Go are very unique amongst all of the Holy Week and Lenten hymns. I don't know if you've been paying attention, but there's something that has not come up in any of our Lenten or Holy Week hymns up to this point. There's something you have not seen in the last verse of the hymns. You have not seen that little triangle for the doxology to stand up. None of the days of Lent are they there. I looked at every single hymn, except for these two. And it's the way that traditionally the chief service ends. We're not ending with it because we're actually ending with the tenebrae, because the tenebrae ends a little bit more solemn but it ends with a a hymn that's much more joyous because the tune, it goes, Sing my tongue the glorious battle. Sing the ending of the fray. So you notice it's more upbeat. It's higher notes. And the reason is to remind us that while what Jesus suffered was evil, it was horrible, it was was one of the most tragic and evil moments in the history of the world, it is also A moment of victory. Because in that moment, death was defeated. Sin was defeated. The devil was defeated. So that when we stand before God, we do not stand in fear and terror. We stand justified. We stand holy. We are saints. Did you know you don't have to die to become a saint? The minute you come to faith, you are a saint. Sanctified by the blood of Jesus. The blood is the cost of our sin. But the blood is also the victory. It is the thing that washes us clean. And every last bit of it is washed away from you. Taken away from you as far as the east is from the west. So are your sins from you. Today, we mourn of our sins. We mourn of what Jesus had to suffer on account of it. But we don't go home depressed and sad. We go home knowing that tomorrow, the week that's to come we are going to say with big words, "Hallelujah," And we'll sing words of joy because Jesus rose from the dead. He got better, which means that all who believe in him, no matter what happens to you, you will also get better. Until that day comes, to God be all glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We continue with the next hymn.